You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Real Vision Daily Briefing, live without a net from New York City, where the skies have just burst open. So those explosions in the background are probably lightning and thunder. I'm Ash Bennington, joined by Tom Thornton. Welcome back, Tom. Hey, Ash. Um, I think my skies are about to open as well, so we should be getting the bombing coming up from uh, New York City uh, about 15 minutes uh, into this broadcast. I'm looking at the radar map. It's coming for you next, Tommy. Yeah, I know. It's coming. So, Tom, it's been a couple of weeks. What's on your mind? What are you looking at? What are you thinking about? Well, you know, today I thought it was going to be a really boring day, and it turned out to be kind of an exciting day, a lot of stuff going on. I actually was out of the office for half the day uh, meeting with some clients, and Bitcoin, uh, boy, I, you're the person in Bitcoin, but um, the thing that I actually wanted to start with is Tesla. And Tesla announced yesterday with an 8K, which rarely do they put out 8Ks, which companies do when there's something important. Uh, They announced that uh, one of their top executives, uh, there's four executives on their website, now there's three. Uh, This guy was responsible for supply chains. He was instrumental in Model 3 production. Model Y production, and recently in the last three months, he was the head of the semi production, which I don't know if that's really in production, but we'll see if that ever hits the road. We've seen two uh, semis, they paint them different colors to make it look like there's a bunch of them. But regardless of that, uh, the stock went up on news that the China monthly sales in May were not as bad as previously reported by another Chinese website. So that's good. It went up and it went right back down. And I think it's also because Bitcoin, which I think Elon paid around 35,000 or that was the realm of when he was a buyer of a billion and a half dollars of Bitcoin. Now it's under that. So last quarter, they said that they made a hundred million dollars on Bitcoin trading because they sold 10% of what they had. Now, last week uh, or this weekend, he hinted in some meme that he might have broken up with Bitcoin. And people are thinking maybe he sold in uh, the character Max Kaiser. Is that who it is? Yep. Yeah, he, um, he has very strong words starting with F, Elon. Uh, I saw his... Uh, his Miami appearance, and I, I have to say, I was really amused by all of that. It was uh, it was good, but I think that Tesla's quarter, just to get back to this, is going to be tough. There's a semi shortage; they haven't really acknowledged it. Uh, the Model S, which they have talked about, they said it was already in production in Q1. I don't know if it's in production yet. They canceled the Plaid Plus with uh, the long range. Just a negative because that was something Elon was touting, and that was also going to be the same battery pack in the uh, 
the Roadster. And so, and God knows when that's going to come out. So I think their quarter is going to be pretty tough. And they also, you know, one thing everybody should remember is they've really made their quarters on the the regulatory emissions credits and that Bitcoin. So they've, they're going to have less regulatory credits. It's coming to hear that. I hear uh, no metal around me. Um, <laughs> I'm not doing this outside. Um, here I am, Tom Thornton, re- reporting from Greenwich, Connecticut. No, not a, hands not a, hands off the mouse, Tom. If it gets too close. <laughs> yeah. um, good point. Um, so anyway, I think that that those. Are, emissions credits are going to start winding down. Stellantis, which is the Renault, Peugeot, Fiat, who else was thrown into that mix? They have said that they're not going to need to buy the credits um, in the future because they have more EVs coming out. And so I think it's going to be a little tough. Uh, Elon's running into trouble in Berlin. the Austin factory uh, was discovered this week that it's actually it's a reservoir that they're building it on. So it's it's there's a low level, and when it rains, it's going to be underwater, and so that that's probably why they got a good price on the land. So I'm watching Tesla, uh, Lordstown Motors. I don't trade this. Uh, this was a. Let me just jump in real quick. A couple of points what? there, uh, just uh, for people who aren't in front of a terminal right now. Bitcoin trading currently. Uh, at 32,791, according to the Coindesk uh, weighting. And the 8K that you referenced earlier, of course, is the form uh, with SEC that companies need to file between quarterly or annual reports uh, when there are material or significant events that they need to disclose uh, to their shareholders. So back to Lordstown Motors, LMC. Okay, this is that one electric vehicle company. I think they're in Ohio, Wordstown, Ohio. And there was a big short report. I think Hindenburg Research nailed it on this one. And they just announced, uh, the stock was ripping higher today, and they announced a going concern notice. And that is basically what bankrupt, bankrupt companies say before they go bankrupt because they're running out of money. And this this is also the, the crazy part was when the guy was on CNBC, he had like some, you know, hard hat. He just looked like an idiot with the car behind him. It's just it's all smoke and mirrors with that company. So that's kind of like an interesting thing I'm watching. I should say uh, trades under the ticker RIDE, R-I-D-E, uh, on NASDAQ. And currently only off, it looks uh, like a little bit, uh, just a hair over 16% on the day. So not a catastrophic sell-off there yet. Well, it was at 16, and now it is. Let me just go to my screen here. I, like I see 11 spot 22 off an additional. It appears now uh, six, a uh, 5.5%. Very volatile. Yeah. After 10.59 down 6%. Look, that's the after-hours number. 11.22 is the close. Right. Okay. Good. We're we're, on, we're in sync here. That's good, Ash. Uh, so Especially yeah, since you've got the better data feed. I'm just looking. Yeah. At well, you know. I make all these numbers up. No, anyway, so there, there's that uh, that risk. A couple of people have asked me about Bitcoin, Ethereum. I don't trade these. I have no bias in this. Um, I like charting them because they actually are they they trade really well for me. 
and the types of charts that I use, the timeframes that I use. And I'll just say that I, I think that we still have some downside risk in, on both of them. Uh, we have downside to mark countdowns. And I believe Bitcoin was on day nine of 13. So we could have four more days of downward movement. And I think that 30,000 is going to be the, you know, they always use these round big numbers uh, people use as stops. If it gets under 30, I'm out. So I think that's something to watch. Micro strategy. Hey, Tom, let me ask you a question about Bitcoin. I'm really yeah. curious, the technical factors that you use when you analyze this, the DeMarc indicators, how's that working out for Bitcoin and Ethereum? Do they look, uh, feel, smell like uh, stocks in terms of the signals that you typically look for and receive? Are they pretty accurate in terms of uh, the way that it translates over? I'm really curious about this. Well, you know what's not in Bitcoin? That's in the S&P? QE. So when, when I look at the way the U.S. markets trade and a lot of stocks, I can see QE. I can see money coming in, liquidity getting pumped in, and that's why we rarely see much more than a 5% uh, correction because there's so much liquidity coming in. So a lot of times I look at commodities, I've got currencies, uh, and those trade really well with the DeMarc indicators. And you do get rather good signals on the downside and upside. So I've had a lot of buy signals with Bitcoin uh, over the years. I've also had very good sell signals. Interesting. So Bitcoin's trading, I think, at risk of breaking 30,000. MicroStrategy was just saying, uh, I think their average cost is around 24,000. And they've given back a lot of their big gains and they're buying $500,000 more with leverage. And so it'll be interesting to see where, where uh, they buy it and if they can hold it up above 30,000. So that's you know, interesting. The on two accounts there. First, your analysis of uh, the actual technical charting patterns that you see on Bitcoin. Again, I find this absolutely fascinating. I guess uh, QE isn't baked in, uh, but the stimulus sure is. I know that lots of retail individuals, we've been hearing anecdotally at least, uh, have put some of that money uh, into cryptocurrency. You know, it's really interesting. I was just in Miami, as you referenced earlier, uh, for about a week uh, for the conference uh, down there, Bitcoin 2021. Uh, and, you know, a whole series of takeaways, but one of the most interesting things for me, or two of them, I should say, and I mentioned this with uh, Ed yesterday on the show, is uh, something we did not see in 2021, but we did see uh, this time, which was a lot of traditional financial market, macro, capital market investors. You could always tell because they were the guys wearing the golf shirts uh, with the sport coats over it when the, uh, you know, the, uh, the crypto kids were uh, in their cool T-shirts and, and hanging out. But it was really interesting to see, uh, you know, a lot of folks with gray hair uh, and uh, looking, uh, you know, like very serious uh, investors. A couple of uh, probably names that people would know who I spotted wandering around. Um, but um, the other thing that's interesting to me uh, is... I, I ran into a number of people with a lot of capital markets uh, experience, people uh, who were in the market making space, people who were very experienced traders who said that they saw negative technical factors for Bitcoin and the entire cryptocurrency complex. I, I remember being at a party at the Marseille Hotel where a guy said, hold on a second, don't go anywhere. I need to show you something and show me about three or four views on a chart uh, that he thought were very bearish. Uh, this was a, a meta theme that I heard uh, from a number of people in terms of technical signals. Uh, and, you know, just on Twitter, 
uh, from yesterday. I had people tweeting at me uh, about things like, are we in for the potential uh, for a major correction? And some asserting that we were, in fact, in uh, for a significant correction in cryptocurrency markets. So it's really an interesting time. I have three takeaways of what you just said. First, I'm glad you wore sunscreen. Um, you didn't get burned. That's a very good thing. Uh, the other thing is, you probably saw Mark Yusko, because that would be him in the sport coat and golf shirt. And yeah, that's you're seeing a lot more people get interested in what's happening with the crypto world. And that's a good thing. I think that the, just from a technical point of view, there's one, one thing you said is everybody seems very bearish. They have a very bearish chart view. That actually gets me a little bit more like, okay, I'll, I, maybe I'll take the other side of that. But the fact is Bitcoin peaked, I think, in February, March, and there's a lot of overhead resistance uh, on the way up. And it's a struggle to get through that. So you have a lot of people all the way up. I mean, you, you to get back to the old levels, you have to basically go up 100%. Now, Bitcoin, it can go up 100%. We've seen it. We've seen it go up like thousands of percent over, over the years. But that's going to be a tough road to get up there. And the last time we saw this big type of correction, I or and I think this is bigger than the last one we had where it, it went down and then and bounced back up. I think this is a more serious top. It, it had to get out of favor for a while. And it went all the way down to 3,000. And I I had to mark buy signals and I was telling people and I didn't even get anybody's response. And that was kind of a good sign when you don't have any response. But I think that you're gonna get another big crypto pullback. It'll base out and then you'll have more people. Those people in the golf shirts and sport coats that in Miami, sport coats, um, they're going to start getting involved. Uh, you could see more regulation that comes in that could give some more stability. And then on the other hand, it could get really dangerous if this unwinds quickly because we've talked about it before. There's so much margin involved in the, in the space. Yeah. Let me ask you something, Tom, that I've been very curious about. One of the interesting things about Bitcoin, you know, we, obviously, uh, right now, we're significantly off the highs. Looks like around 60, uh, 63,340 and change uh, going back to April 15th on tax day. Uh, I'm curious, when you look at uh, when you look at this chart, uh, or the traditional tax day, I should say, since we didn't do it on that day this year, uh, but when you look back at the chart, I mean, the interesting thing for me, we're trading now, I look at the live feed here, 33,180, we're still slightly positive on the year. If you bought Bitcoin uh, on January 1st, uh, you bought in at around 29,000. Now that's cold comfort if you bought near the top at 63,000. But I'm curious, Tom, how you factor that calculus in when you see uh, when you see something that's nearly doubled and then you see these, uh, you know, obviously this retracement in the price. How do you think about that? And how do you factor in the dramatic rise that we've seen in the last, well, almost bang on exactly six months here? Okay, well, I'll discuss it like uh, someone that manages money for a firm or a hedge fund or not really for myself. It was a lot of people that can say, oh, it's, you know, it's, I'm long term. I'm not selling. It's fine. I expect this type of pullback. The 50% pullback, though, 
if you're managing money for a fund, is really devastating and job ending for a lot of people. Yeah. Unless you risk manage it and find some other ways to hedge that out. So that's a difficult situation that people get into. And I, I personally, I, I would be devastated if I had such gains. Let's say I bought it at 10,000 and it went to 60,000 and now it's back to 30,000. I'd, I'd, I'd have some serious regret. And that's an emotion that we all have as investors and we have it, we deal with it. We try to remember these things the next time so we can move some money around. And I, I, I keep telling people, and we talked about it last time, yeah, you could you could hold this and it, you could say it's going to go up forever and, you know, I'm not worried about it. I'll buy more. But there's also that risk that it may not go up again. It may never go up again. That's any asset could could do that. So you just yeah. have to ma maintain and keep trading around it, take profits when you have them, reinvest on dips, stop out of some if you're losing money on, on certain places. You just have to stay fluid with it. And I think people are learning that. And I, I actually, I don't know if you noticed, I got my hair cut today. It was, uh, I got pulled over by the police in Greenwich. They said, you got to get a haircut. So I got, they do that here. <laughs> I got a haircut and my, the guy that cuts my hair, uh, he was asking me about, you know, crypto, Bitcoin, and he was holding. He's like, I'm holding, it's fine. He also cuts hair for a very significant hedge fund manager um, that we all know that lives in Greenwich as well. So, and um, he doesn't they have all a lot live, of it. They all live in Greenwich. Too. No, they don't. No, they don't. But anyway, we were talking about that. But um, yeah, sorry. Okay. What else are we talking about? I mean, about listen, 50%, uh, a 50% pullback, uh, guys have cleaned out their desks for less. Yeah. Oh, my God. If you worked at a fund like Millennium, you're, you could have a 3% pullback and for, you know, hi, tap on the shoulder and say, you're out. And that happens. You know, some funds are so tight with their risk that you, you can't go down 10%. You can't have a 10% down month. And that's... Yeah. You know, perhaps there's a little bit of wiggle room when you think of what asset you're trading. And this is a very volatile asset. So maybe there's a little bit more, you know, wiggle room for risk management for some some funds. But I still think that this is a this is a very serious pullback. And, I, you know, we could have another lower high bounce, which I thought we were getting last week. But, I, you know, it's there's so much leverage in the system right now. And I. I well, a lot of people, you know, remember 2017, it was straight up and then straight down. This yeah. has been like sideways for three or four months. Yeah. And then that's a lot of people that got into it thinking, oh, it's going to 100,000 or a million or whatever. And they're stuck there. And yeah. there's a lot of unsophisticated people. You mentioned the people that put their uh, stimulus checks in there. Remember, they bought probably a lot higher than this price here. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
Yeah, well, I'm fairly certain that what is the uh, risk certification? It's the uh, RIMS, uh, CRMP, whatever it is. I'm pretty sure that the term HODL is not on that exam uh, and that when you go to your portfolio manager, uh, they are not very sympathetic to that argument. But this is very interesting, Tom, something we've talked about before, the differences in culture uh, between being on a desk uh, and being in a, in a movement, right? They're just very different ways of looking at the world. Uh, and, uh, you know, people, there are those who are willing to shrug off 50% uh, losses, uh, actually believe that it's, uh, you know, almost a kind of badge of honor that you've got the diamond hands uh, that you're holding on to it. And, you know, you bring this very different experience, a much more, I think, sophisticated, nuanced view of thinking about this, particularly for individual investors, uh, you know, who, who really can feel this pain uh, in, a, in a very significant way. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, the regret of a lot of people out there that, oh, I wish I sold it higher, I wish I sold some higher, it's, it's real. And it, it can be debilitating. And again, we've talked about it. People are levered out with this all over the place. And the other thing is, if we go down, I said this in my uh, Bloomberg chat room today, I said, if we go down under 30,000 and this starts to get unruly and goes down faster, that's big leverage getting unwound. And that's where you have funds saying, okay, I'm out. You got to, got to manage risk. And that, that may be the best thing to start a capitulation. I and mean, we really just haven't seen a capitulation. We haven't seen anybody in, in the Bitcoin world just go, I have been totally wrong. I'm out. You know, I, I can remember um, there's a guy that with the same name as me that is a Bitcoin uh, uh, proponent, and he he is a strategist, uh, last name Lee. He was really like, and I like Tom Lee. I think he does good quality work, but he just got so much grief from making these predictions of his Bitcoin prices that almost at the lows, he said, I'm just going to stop making price pro projections higher or lower for Bitcoin. And that was kind of a good capitulation level in the three or 4,000 level. Like, okay, I'm just kind of tired of talking about it going to 50,000 or 100,000. So that's that's something that you see a lot of times in, a, in stocks as well. I mean, one thing, I don't know if you noticed this, but there's been a lot of analysts that cover names like GameStop or uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, other retailers that they've just taken coverage off. They're like, we can't value this company at this at this level. It just makes no sense. And I, I also like, we can segue a little into the meme stocks. Let me just say, it, Tom Lee, obviously from FS Insight, who's been on Real Vision before uh, and very insightful, uh, the call that you're talking about famously, I believe, uh, was his, I think, 2018 uh, call for Bitcoin 10 million. Uh, the fine print on that that didn't get reported in the headline was that he talked about that over a decades long uh, time horizon. It wasn't something that he had, uh, you know, zeroed in on his dial for uh, 2021 or something. So, um, yeah, I, I, I will tell you this. I, 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 I'm a, I watch whenever you see, and this is like a really good sentiment read for a lot of people. Whenever you see, whether it's a stock, an equity index, Bitcoin, whatever, after a big run, higher price targets that just seem completely unreasonable or 
after a downward move, I mean, back in 2009, I remember it was in February, we were like 700 on the S&P and we went down to 666. But there were people saying, oh, we're going to go to 295. And how did they come up with that number? I don't know. But that would have been another, you know, 50% off from that level where we were after being down such a big amount. So sometimes it's important to watch after a big move, the analysts that put higher price targets on. There's a guy that does that at Wedbush. Uh, he has to always have the highest uh, price targets. He, he upgrades Tesla, you know, higher. Oh, it's going to 1200, blah, blah, blah. It, these are things that people can watch and say, that doesn't seem, that seems a little aggressive. Um, unrealistic so i, I watch that a lot I, maybe we should set prices right rules for uh, price targets closest without bidding over so there's this weird asymmetric property in the bidding yeah i look there's a lot of times too when when these analysts they, it hits their price target and they say well i'm raising my price target why can't you say you know what i'm gonna take a um i'm gonna take profits here this is my price target this is where i i, I wanted to get out uh, at least take half off or go to neutral or whatever you want to do on your rating. So that's, they don't do that. They, it's because it's, it's actually, it's a lot harder to be bearish than, than bullish. I mean, a lot of people love yeah. the beer, you know, talk and all that, but it's really hard. I mean, I, I'm generally a skeptic. Especially when you were the voice in the wilderness who had a price target that was, you know, 35% over the last uh, trade or the top tick. And now you've been right that whole time, and you know you want to take that bit of a victory lap uh, by pricing up on the target. Yeah, you know they get you know the sell side, uh, street uh, Wall Street research. Uh, they pride themselves on being right and being bullish, and they they get paid by companies to be, you know, to if you're bullish on a particular company. Most likely, the company is going to give you a lot of access. They're going to come to conferences. They're going to they're going to be your friend. Okay, let's just say that. I, I can tell you that I remember a lot of times where we had an analyst who was bearish on a company, and they weren't allowed to meet with the management at conferences. It just was impossible. And you know, look, they have their own preferences, but yeah, it pays to be bullish uh, in the market. Hey, Tom, let me jump in here real quick. We were talking a little bit uh, offline. Uh, by the way, for folks who don't know, we're having a little bit of a problem with our uh, some challenges right now with our uh, with our live uh, YouTube feed that we've been broadcasting on. I was a little bit nervous uh, that uh, we weren't going to get as many questions. Tom, I got like a like a full page of questions here that we're not going to even be able to get through. Uh, so let's jump in maybe and uh, and hit some of these real quick because there's some good ones uh first one this is my favorite so far this one comes from lewis g lewis g good evening my question is for thomas do you ever step away from the charts is there any value in taking a break asking for a friend do i know this person uh no actually yes it's very valuable to step away take some time off uh, I can tell you that Paul Tudor Jones used to have, he has a written like manual, like a Bible that he wrote in 1994 that I have somewhere, uh, somebody gave me. 
And basically, if a trader or an analyst was having a period of poor performance and just couldn't get in sync with the market, he told him, go home, go home, take, take two or three days off, clear your head, come back and be refocused and think, don't, don't get into your, you know, don't get in your computer, go play golf, come back. And, you know, the thing that is really important is I think that showed a huge amount of support for the analyst because an analyst feels like crap if they've been wrong and they worry about their job, but being able to say, okay, take some time off, refocus, clear your head, come back and let's get at it. That helps that, you know, you got to have a mental download or break from the markets. And I fully appreciate that. And, and I will say it's been hard at times for me to step away just because I'm, you know, I'm such a market addict, but it, it does really pay off. It does pay off. Yeah. Short question from a short handle from MLC. Uh, thoughts on energy? I've liked energy for, well, since October. We've talked about it a bunch. I wanted, you know, I bought it. I've sold it. I've traded some of the peaks. I did not get in this last little move. I don't think I have. And this is another thing. I can be very patient in the market. I, I, if I don't see the perfect setup for me, it wasn't deep enough. Basically, I, 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 I stayed back. And you know, we've also had this weird action in the market where some sectors are up one day, some sectors are, you know, they're down the next day, and we just haven't been able to get really good follow through on a lot of sectors. And energy is basically one of those. Financials have been doing the same thing. Industrials are starting to get a little that way as as well. Tech also has been, uh, but generally speaking, uh, tech's been fairly bid. You know, bullish uh, since October, you got in at or near the lows. I'm looking at looks like uh, it looks like WTI uh, about doubling from the October lows uh, till today. Last trade at 70 bucks a barrel. I bought the OIH at 100, and it is 239. So it worked out. I and I and truth be told, I've traded around it. I have taken profits. I I bought Occidental at 10, sold it at 20, bought it back, sold it at 30. I've done things like that where it just keeps me, you know, fluid in the market and putting money into the you know the cash register. It, it ring the register. It it actually it works. Yeah. Um, let's go to another question here. Um, Here's an interesting one. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. This comes to us from Brandon. Will we see a decoupling of Bitcoin and Ethereum? I, I actually am not the person that can answer that. I tend to think that I mean, is a person that, I mean, they, they have different purposes. As I'm told, I'm not an expert in this, but they tend to trade all together. You, know, you really don't see... You know, Ethereum was was doing really well and then fell apart and Bitcoin started falling apart. Uh, you know, sometimes it's that fast money that will chase something. So if Ethereum starts rallying again and Bitcoin doesn't, that's the people up with the high uh, 
price in, in Bitcoin are selling it and they're buying Ethereum because they see higher, you know, potential there. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, but they, they tend to trade all together. That's another thing. There, there's a saying that uh, the potential for a stock's move, 50% is the sector that it's in, 30% is the market, and uh, the, the rest, 20%, is the individual stock's fundamentals. And it's really true. If you see tech going up, generally you're going to see the whole complex going up. Energy goes up. You have every energy stock going up. And it's not necessarily the fundamentals in each particular stock, but if you have all three of those working, uh, generally speaking, everything works works together. Well, that's very well said and an important piece of insight for understanding how uh, you view uh, markets and individual names. I would just say, uh, I think you're spot on when you say uh, that these are obviously very different types of assets for very different purposes. But I would say, look, they've already seemed to decouple. We were saying earlier, Bitcoin about flat on the year. Looking back, Jan 1 uh, on Ethereum, uh, you could have bought in at 730. Uh, and if you'd gone back, uh, you know, you'd gone back to October, it had basically doubled again. So here we are trading at 2,543. So that's like 3.33333 times, uh, you know, profit in, uh, in, in since the beginning of the year here in the six months. You basically, you basically tripled your money if you stayed in. Obviously, it went uh, at, at peak. It was, I think it cracked 4,000, 4,132 on May 11 uh, on Ethereum. So there's already been a decoupling. I guess the question now, uh, is that fully priced? Do you see it going forward? Open question. I, I like, again, I, I tend to look at my charts and I believe there's risk lower. And hey, maybe Ethereum can go back to that year-to-date start. But look, I think you've had faster money coming into Ethereum as Bitcoin didn't, you know, continue to move higher. And I, I people chased it. I mean, this is a chasing market right now. Some people call it a casino. I, I tend to agree when you see the the, the GameStop, AMC. This is just insane. Yeah. Here's one uh, from Chase Winter. Hi, Tommy. Love it when you are on. Uh, please, can you discuss the RUT IWM? These are the Russell, Russell uh, iShares indices uh, nearing uh, Russell 2000, uh, nearing all-time highs on an apparent meme rally and on a bunch of uh, buying. He goes on to say uh, there also seems to be a high short position uh, that may also be a factor. So I'd like to get your thoughts while IWM sits way up here okay you're the the um i've tended to watch the russell and it's been in this range uh, since i think uh, march and we're at the top of the range we're kind of poking above certain levels right now yeah we've had you know a lot of the meme stocks uh, i i think amc and gme could be could qualify i mean those are i think the biggest names They've done the most attribution that essentially they've added the most points uh, by themselves to the Russell and those stocks are, you know, they've been going nuts on the upside. So, you know, there's a risk if those start to come down and look, I, 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 I think you also, again, you have people chasing these, they see these going up. 
Somebody told me that the AMC and GME could qualify for the Russell 1000 growth, and mm. that that seems that seems interesting. Uh, so there's there's that. But yeah, I I, I tend to think that it's uh, it's still range bound. Could go a little bit more, but I I I think the meme stock uh, stuff. I mean, AMC closed flat on the day, down a dollar forty from below its VWAP level, and GME closed up 7%, but down $8.5 below its VWAP level. VWAP level is a a volume of weighted average price, and I tend to look at that indicator or that level as a supply and demand. So in other words, you have a lot of volume that traded $8.5 higher in GME on average, so therefore you could have people trapped under above that level and there could be you know a little bit more selling uh ahead if those people don't get back to their their cost bases yeah i think we've got time for uh, one more question if we hit this one fast uh this one comes to us from ralph humphrey uh tom what will make you rethink your position in corn uh he said he knew you'd been short in that position in fact are you still short would probably be the first question yeah i'm short corn soybeans and uh, wheat and these I, I actually am I added to my position recently so I have a little larger weight in these uh, as it bounced a little but the problem is that if you look at the crop reports the, the plantings in the Midwest and all over have been really really strong there's a lot of supply that's going to be that's being grown right now and Historically, over the last six years, uh, we we haven't seen this type of, you know, the, this call it, you know, where they're sprouting, you know, that broke ground, and this is really good. You haven't had like a like some sort of freak weather hit the Midwest yet, so this this will be um, we'll, we'll have a bountiful crop this year. But the problem is seasonality for these turns very very negative in the summer. Every year, every single year. So I'm sitting tight. I believe this is just going to be another seasonal uh, pullback, maybe a bit stronger this year, partly because we have the reopening, and I think it's a little overdone. The inflation move higher, it's a little overdone. And uh, the seasonality with the, I mean, it's just, I, I, I feel confident with, with being short these, especially after the big moves we've seen. So yeah, a little, you know, here and there, I get, get it wrong for a little bit, but I feel pretty good about, you know, seasonal historical patterns. Yeah. Talking of freak weather, it looks like the rain has stopped here on the Upper East Side. Uh, I don't know if you guys are still getting hammered in Fairfield County, but it looks like we're, we're done here. Uh, it's talking, dark. It's dark, dark, but I, and I'm going to a, um, I'm going to, a, 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 going to have drinks with a friend uh, on the water in a few. So, you know, that'll be fun. Well, talking of done here, uh, before we close out, I do want to ask, I know we said the last one, but one more question because it's such a good one. Let's go. And because I want to hear the answer to this, this comes to us from L. Uh, what is Thomas's daily routine back in the days when you were a PM? Well, I'm getting reminded about my uh, meeting. Um, okay. Actually, I, I was more of um, a senior trader on our desk and I reported to 
uh, 2 p.m.s. And so I'd get in at 5.30, 5.45 every morning. I'd be on the in my car. I was on my phone to a derivatives trader in London, either Bear Stearns or Morgan Stanley or Lehman, you know, Goldman. I'd get, I'd talk to my Goldman uh, derivative trader, you know, the derivative traders, they know where all the bodies are buried and they know they were the ones that know the gamma exposures of, of where the market is. And they gave you some good option flows and things like that. So I'd start there. I'd start, uh, compiling every upgrade downgrade of what's happening i'd look at charts i'd run screens with my demark indicators of everything in our portfolio because i had it all segregated so i can look at you know buys and sells each day uh, as upgrades came in or downgrades i would forward those to our email strings you know research at blah 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 or technology at blah 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 industrials at blah 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 and we'd also rate the signal. So if Goldman Sachs downgraded Apple, for example, that would be a three, right? If there was just some sort of price raise from Wedbush, it would be a one. So we rated, we'd look at the threes where they're very actionable. And we, I would put out a, a daily note like I do with hedge fund telemetry where Basically, I would give some balance with market sentiment, all these different things that just, you know, tons of stuff and make it easier for the PM and analyst to digest and to say, okay, that's actionable, that's not actionable. And then I trade pre-market a lot. We traded a lot of pre-market stocks. And, and, and then when the market opened, I mean, it was just, I had 10, trades in front of me and i'd have to i'd do five on my ecn which was basically doing it on my screen see electronic networks yeah. yeah and then i would give you know five across the street you know goldman sell me you know you know 250 microsoft you know whatever i had to do it, it just i'd put it out there and then it would start coming in markets are changing i'd get 10 more orders and there was times where i you know almost every day I'd have a hundred orders. And when you're trying yeah. to juggle, you know, positions, you know, let's say share shares between 10,000 shares and maybe 500,000 shares or even more. But the average was around 25. We trade yeah. around things and then a hundred thousand shares and, you know, you're looking for liquidity. So one of the things we'd look at is who's trading Lordstown Motors, <laughs> no, where who's trading, who's the active uh, trader in a particular stock. And we'd call that trader and say, hey, JP Morgan, I want you to um, tell me what's going on with Viacom. Oh, I've got a buyer all day. Okay, I want to sell some right here and then I'll sell some later. And so it was just that all day and then getting all the trades back, reconciling those trades. And then after market uh, started and we trade after market with earnings and PMs are eating popcorn and we're stressing out trying to figure out, you know, what trades are going to hit us and get liquidity after market. So it, yeah, that, that was my day. And I, look, it was, a, I got home six, seven at night. I'd go out two nights a week with sell side traders. Uh, they'd try and wine and dine us. Um, I didn't drink while I worked at my hedge fund because I just was, I was training for sports and stuff like that. Don't make jokes, people. Um, 
but I just, I, I, I had to be in so early that I just couldn't yeah. be foggy and I had to be so sharp. And so that was my day. Um, yeah, it's fun. I loved it. It was awesome. A peek behind the curtain. Tom, what time did the alarm go off? Uh, I didn't, I didn't have an alarm. I, I didn't wake, I, I would wake up at 5 a.m. every morning. Some days, I'm wrap, some days I'm wrapping up Real Vision around 5. Wait, in, in 5 in the morning? Yeah. No, I was talking when I wake up. Oh, no, no. I'm just ending the day. I sleep like four or five hours a night. Really? Slept about three and a half last night. Yeah, I don't sleep that well anymore. I don't know why. I have no, you know, what's my stress? You know. <laughs> uh, Tom, thanks so much for joining us. This was an especially okay. fun Thanks, everyone, uh, for watching. Thanks for your questions. Thanks See for you guys. Watching. See you guys soon. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.